Hey y'all, this is Bedford from Naming It. I just wanted to let you know that I just finished editing our uh, one-year celebration episode. I think that it came out really well and um, that y'all are going to really enjoy the panel and the energy and the audience. And uh, I'm just looking forward to hearing it. I just want to remind you it is a live episode. There will be some noise. We had a little bit of problems with the mic, but it's all good. Um, So bear with us and... uh, Enjoy. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for that, that wonderful just audience participation and working together as a community. That's really what we're trying to build, especially out here in the Bay Area. And I appreciate all of you all for being a part of that. And thank you all again for allowing me to help open up this, this program tonight. And I'm going to hand it off to everybody else. So we typically do this. There's usually a little jingle that plays. Oh, right, 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 right. So, so y'all are seeing this live, and usually Bedford and I are in his cozy office. I talk about it on the podcast a lot, but typically it goes a little something like, there's music playing in our ear, and then Bedford always counts me in. Do y'all know what we're talking about? Yeah. And people who listen to the podcast? I'm like, dude, I, I know my part. Like, you don't gotta count me in no more, right? <laughs> but as soon as I say that, I'm probably gonna mess it up. Actually, I think two podcasts ago, I stopped and she stopped. So we, we, we're going to count y'all in, but what we're going to do is we're going to try bring, to bring in that first phrase that we have. Do y'all remember that? Anybody remember what we say at the very beginning? Before that, before that, what's the first thing you hear besides the ads? Welcome to... All right, thank you. So uh, we're going to start off, uh, we start off with... The, the musical talent of Dr. Adisa Anderson. Thank you very much. We can give a big round of applause for bringing us, bringing us into the one spirit, bringing the ancestors into the room. Thank you, brother. Um, we want to continue with uh, one of our featured panelists, um, Dr. Raina Leone. She's going to bless us with some poetry. Good evening, y'all. I am, thank you. (laughs) I am going to just read uh, two short poems before we enter into the goodness that is to come. Band Portrait in the MAGA, the Make America Great Again era. The study says that black girls are less innocent. I remember when I snuck out of our Philly red brick row house in my light green satin chemise. My father upstairs in the grips of peace that comes only after a 16-hour shift in detention with boys to whom he never showed my picture. I opened the door and flipped the black lock of the screen door with the leaves in stained glass and out into our postage stamp yard, sun dancing dandelions, yellow heads, and the white for wishing. I was making a bouquet for my mother. It was a boy passing on a tricycle, his mother far behind that made me rush in fear 
back into the house I wasn't supposed to be seen, unguarded, not presentable, and perfect. Lock, lock, and down. To the basement for more spring bounty. Blush tea roses under the cherry blossom tree, bursting to color a world in petal pink. To go there, I had to climb a tall shelf to find the keys to the bolts hidden from lit little hands. Three locks, one creaky and compelling, the contrivance of method. A double-handed hang to turn it. Barefoot, I crept out careful of fallen pointed branch stubs to snip and slip all those flowers in the satin basket of my frayed nightgown. Then back and lock the three locks and up the, the stairs to nestle under my father's arm that smelled of roasted onion sweat. Already the flowers had wilted. I threw them away and no one noticed the ruin. So a little sonnet. I, I seem to be doing a series of these, these band portraits in the MAGA era on returning to the United States after Ruby Onyenyechi's Amanze's Ada Rests in Places Unknown, which is an incredible, incredible um, piece in an exhibit called The Ease of Fiction, which is right now at the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco. So if you have a chance, you should definitely come, come through. There's a uh, collaboration between the Museum of the African Diaspora and Kaveh Kanem, which is a workshop for black poets that's happening right now. And every Thursday, right now, Indigo Moore, um, who is the Poet Laureate of San Sacramento, is, is reading. Um, so it goes until uh, the end of August. Band Portrait in the MAGA Era on Returning to the United States. We wake with dawning. It's jet lag. The frailty of body in and out of time. Just days ago in Italy, our minds were electrified, bursting. Independence Day fireworks while here, the plants sun-lazed. And now we are opposite. Beneath I wait so heavy, though sun seeps its carmine existence on a poet's page, that I signal with simple words. Kind of bloodline, that sun. In twilight, my husband and I find a new lust fever and bemoan our amiable couch fight while watching Netflix to stay awake. But rest, I think, is not for an American here or now. Cleavers descend on black and brown, dead and hold, a treason trial unstarted. I still dream but in protests. Thank you all very much. Can we give it up one more time for Dr. Raina Leon? So how y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? Okay. All right, y'all got enough wine? Did, did, did y'all get your tokens? Did you get, get some of that charcuterie? You know I can't say that word. <laughs> hey, um, before we uh, get going, I want to do a quick shout out to the venue. 
Um, isn't this a beautiful place where Rosenblum Cellars in, in Oakland and Jack London Square? They've been real kind to us. Uh, we're members, uh, and this is a this is just a, a, one of the most beautiful places I think in the Bay Area. So if y'all uh, should come back and uh, check it out at some other time as well, and folks who are listening to the podcast, you should come check this spot out. Um, one of the raffle, in case y'all, and we're gonna have time after for this. So when we finish the uh, panel, please don't just run away. Uh, we're, we are doing a raffle. You can buy raffle tickets, and we'll have a little bit of time afterward before we do the raffle. Uh, one of the, the top prize is a membership into Rosenblum. So it might be worth it to, to grab one of them tickets, and we have a lot of other prizes going on. So um, without uh, belaboring it, I will turn it over to my co-host. All right. So I'm going to welcome our panelists um, by reading the introductions. That's that's one of my one of my many roles on the podcast. She read good. <laughs> Thank you. So to start out, we are going to invite Mr. Rob Jackson, co-founder and executive director of Beats, Rhymes, and Life. A hip-hop artist, educator, and youth advocate, Rob Jackson is a representative of Oakland's multicultural community. He received a bachelor's degree in liberal studies with an emphasis in ethnic studies from San Francisco State University with an extensive background in the field of education and expertise in curriculum development. Rob co-founded Beats, Rhymes, and Life in 2004 to serve the mental health needs of youth of color. With over 10 years of experience working with marginalized youth and 15 years as a hip-hop artist, Rob has helped BRL bridge the worlds of mental health and urban culture to effectively serve youth throughout the Bay Area and the Bronx, New York. As BRL's chief of staff, Rob is responsible for staff development and ensuring program fidelity. Welcome, Rob. All right. Hi. All right, next up, you already saw her beautiful work, but here is a little bit of formality, and I want to get the right one because I got some edits. <laughs> Dr. Raina Leon, poet and associate professor of St. Mary's College of California. Anybody else from St. Mary's? Go girls. Yeah, we're in St. Mary's crew in the house, right? Dr. Raina Leon has been published widely in poetry, fiction, nonfiction, and academic scholarship. She is currently an associate professor of education at St. Mary's College of California. Dr. Leon received her bachelor's in journalism, master's in teaching of English, master's in education leadership, a PhD in education, and most recently completed her MFA in poetry. Woo. Her research interests include high school engagement and the teaching of poetry, critical pedagogy, critical literacy in the high school classroom, and educational technology uses among high school educators. Please welcome Dr. Rain and Leon. Can I add a couple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to you add, 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 add on because there's not enough lods and laurels, right? So just... Well, uh, one of the other things is that you might recognize Dr. Leon because she was uh, one of our guests on the Naming It podcast, and that was a, a wonderful show, and we'll have to have you on multiple times because it always ups our ratings, so, you know. <laughs> um, and the other piece that I don't think was in there is that you also just recently were uh, received your tenure, so you can't get fired no more. <laughs> this is the best tenure celebration I've had. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
And our third panelist is Mr. Kalima Preforce, Headmaster CEO of Kino. Kalima Preforce is just a kid from Brooklyn, committed to eliminating barriers to human potential as the Headmaster CEO of Kino, industry leader for the inclusive innovation ecosystem. Kino is home to Hackathon Academy, the first pop-up school that prepares youth and their mentors to build web and mobile apps that accelerate college and career pathways in STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, design, and mathematics. He launched hackathons for Prince at the Essence Festival and President Obama's My Brother's Keeper and Tech Equity Week's multi-city world fair to moonshoot Q's product development for school, college students, and pre-professionals. Kino creates magical opportunities for all. There's more. Kalima's brand of inclusive hacktivism has been featured on the cover of USA Today, the MSNBC mini documentary Swimming in Their Genius. Go ahead and check that out, y'all, when you get a chance. Indie award-winning film Code Oakland and recognized by the White House as a champion of change. He is a 2013 Echoing Green Fellow and 40 Under 40 Tech Diversity for Silicon Valley. Please welcome Kalima Preforce. <laughs> All right, y'all. Can you actually make a little bit of a U so we can see around? On the... Yes. I want to be able to. So part of being live is that we're, we're seeing this as we're going, so we can't set it up. So um, for the folks who are listening on the live podcast, um, right now we're, uh, we're setting it up, and we're not going to follow the normal format that we normally do. So we don't do, normally we do a check-in and a shout-in, and then we'll do a, a what's going on. Um, we're going to kind of just move straight into the real talk. So um, even though we didn't go straight in, we had a bunch of drums and poetry and stuff. But um, so today we're going to do this panel and um, we're going to talk about social justice. We're going to talk about psychology. We're going to talk about all the things that the folks are, are, are bringing with them, the tech, the education, the um, hip hop theory and therapy. Um, and uh, we're going to get it going with some, some first questions. So um, the first question that we have for y'all if that's okay, and I'm gonna throw it out there just um, because we are we are recording. So if everyone can make sure their phones are shut off or, or on vibrate and like you know all the little tings. If you if you ting your glass, you'll be able to listen to that on the podcast and say that was me. Um, so uh, the first question that we have is you know with all of we 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 gave these uh, intros for you, but we'd like to know. Um, if you can tell us a little bit more about yourselves and um, what inspires you and, and, and how uh, you kind of, and what kind of projects you have going right now. I also like that we can shift, shift starting from here and then there and there. So, um, so what inspires me? I am really energized about our times right now. Um, and I, I suppose that that's an odd thing to say, but I was at a Kevin Kimoshiro leadership workshop and he was talking about crises as opportunities for change. And so I'm pretty energized in that. And so things that I'm working on right now are I'm stepping into this role as a director in my program at St. Mary's. I'm a director of a single subject credential program. 
preparing future teachers to, you know, change the world, that's all. Um, <laughs> so I am very interested in thinking about, so what does it mean to cultivate, craft a program that's all about transformational change, that is all about partnership, that um, center starts with the self and an interrogation of the self and extending from there. So. Uh, that's my work as a teacher educator, but I'm also, as you know, a poet. And so I have some uh, manuscripts and things that I'm working on. And God willing, I will be going on sabbatical next year. I'm applying. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And, and dreaming of what that might be, right? So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you want to play hot mic? There's a lot of equity going on right now. Yes. Right on. Um, good evening. Hi. How's it going? Um, what inspires me every day is systems change. Um, systems reformation. Um, I, yeah, I often say, like, I live for the day where juvenile justice systems aren't relevant anymore. And people laugh at me. I've literally had people laugh in my face, and that's cool. Um, but that's what inspires me every single day, and and I, and I live it um, in my organization for sure. We uh, we are really intentional about increasing the diversity of our field, um, and you know, from from the the system that we have in our MSW program right now, uh, to forty percent of our staff being youth that have come through the program. Um, yeah, and personally, actually, sabbatical does inspire me. I'm I'm leaving um, next week, a week from today. I'm going on a five-week vacation that I'm calling sabbatical. So, I'm yes, I'm turning off my phone. I'm not going to do the social media thing and just enjoy enjoy life for a minute. Um, and yeah, working on my own project as well. So, um, still an artist still living living and breathing hip-hop every single day uh let's see well first uh thank you for allowing me to be here uh to be surrounded by uh dis distinguished geniuses in in your fields um my name is clear pride force and what inspires me uh, kids it's as simple as that it's kids it's um it's that it's that moment when they're learning and it's this it's, you know, whatever you believe in, God, goddess, the universe, whatever it is, that is this purest moment is when you see it in their eyes. And so, um, yeah, so I think that that, well, that, that definitely inspires me. Uh, yeah, I, I, excuse me for being formal. I know those who are listening can't see just how formal I look um, for the Bay Area, for Oakland. Uh, so I just um, uh, uh, came off of a panel for the My Brother's Keeper Alliance. And uh, they had a regional summit in Long Beach, so thankfully it wasn't too far. And that panel started at 3.15 and it uh, ended at 4.15, and my flight was at 5 o'clock. And so, uh, so, I, so I made a mad, mad dash to, to the airport, and then I uh, got to the airport, and thankfully I was sharing the plane with, uh, with, with Oakland's mayor, Mayor, mayor Schaff. And so, uh, so she, she said, hey, I'll, I'll drop you off. And so, uh, so we were in the car, you know, did a little karaoke, you know. We talked about our favorite, 
Told about favorite restaurants, which she doesn't have a favorite restaurant. They're all her babies, all her children. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And, uh, and, and she's also um, going to help me find a wife. So she, I, I recruited her into Wife Watch, hashtag. Um, uh, but um, I, I think that it's one of the most, uh, one of the interesting parts of the, the conversation I had with her is just, um, it's, it's what it took for me to leave Brooklyn to come here and then walk into an Oakland classroom and then see that not too far, Silicon Valley is right here, it's right here. You just take a ferry and then boom, you're there. And yet these kids could, were so far removed from all of the capital, all of the innovation that was happening there. And so, and I, I knew at that moment that I had to change, that I had to focus less on building apps and more on teaching the children of tomorrow who are today here the language of tomorrow, which is today, here, now. And so, um, and so when at that moment, that moment when they get the hello world that says, hey, I'm a, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a hacker now, that, that inspires me. I'm inspired too. <laughs> so we, we know that Naming It is dedicated to exploring uh, current events um, and issues around social justice, but particularly we do that through the lens of being psychologists and black psychologists. But we're curious how your work intersects with social justice and how do you understand social justice in the work that you do? Like, you know, I mean, it's a term that we use it, but like how we need to operationalize that a little bit. Like, how do you define it as it connects to specifically the youth that you serve, the things that you do, the, the ways you move through the community, through the world, et cetera? Yeah. So before I, I go, this is Raina for those who are not in the room. Um, I just have to say that for those who will be listening to the podcast, I'm probably the voice that you will hear for the vocal affirmations. Like, I'm the one who's like, mm-hmm, yeah. Like, <laughs> the whole time, I don't know if you've noticed that yet, but I'm like, yeah, that's right, yes, transformation. Like, <laughs> so I'm there. Um, so thinking about um, what is my work in connection with social justice, and I, and I think this will probably be echoed by... Um, Robin Kalima is um, thinking about like it's all that I am. It's it's all that I am. Um, whether that is as a poet uh, and and writing poems that speak to what may within the coming fascism. You know, we're we're going that way. That's where we're going. Um, so writing poems that may be banned. <laughs> um, to trying within literary communities to foster conversations. Um, I'm teaching a class right now online. It's an eight-week class that is really pushing writers to think about um, here is your creative work and here are the avenues that you can, can use to, to support your work. And But the, the core texts are all people of color, are all queer trans writers, are all like women, like... So folks, as far as like an MFA program, oftentimes are ignored, <laughs> or our voices are ignored. And, and thinking about um, how I can structure a course so that there is more inclusivity, that there is more voice and equity in our, our experiences. So whether it's that, or challenging my students who are going to be teachers to also think about criticality, also think about new perspectives in their teaching and interrogate 
even just at the at the root of their language. What language are they using to interact with parents and and guardians and community members, um, and how that communicates how they think about education, about young people, about um, about families and communities. So, and what it is that they want to do as teachers, right? So thinking about the work, right, this intersection with social justice, for me, I very much feel that it is, that it's, it's core to everything that I do. Thanks. Uh, so when I think of social justice, I think of Dr. Lorraine Monroe. And uh, so I, I grew up in a group home in, in Brooklyn, and I had a hunger strike against my group home in order to get more books into the group home library. Um, it was the only tool that I could think of in order to fight like this, the foster care system. And, um, and so I, I won the hunger strike uh, after a couple of days. And, uh, and, and that got the attention of a, a community of, of Buddhist monks and nuns. And, and they educated me, tutored me from uh, eight years old to 14. And so, but, you know, by then, everyone around me was getting killed. Everyone about around me was dying. Um, and, and I felt like the community of monks and nuns, the monastics, they weren't really preparing me to be a black man in America. And, and, it's, it, it, and I understand that. I mean, they, it, 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 they were even limited in terms of their capacity. And so when... The only school that accepted me, which was the Frederick Douglass Academy in Harlem, when they, uh, and that was because they didn't get my behavioral records. For some reason, they, they split the records. And so they got my academic, but not my behavioral. So they got my academic records. So I got there. I was the kid that didn't talk to anyone. Uh, and, and what happens when you're the kid that doesn't talk to anyone, then the girls want to talk to you. And the girls have boyfriends, and the boyfriends are on the football team. And so they all encountered me in the cafeteria, and so I had to fight with, uh, with all of them. And, um, and, and the thing was is that, like, so when their parents came, they, they had parents. And they said, well, we want to speak to his parents. And, and they said, well, I don't have parents. And so, um, so the principal uh, expelled me. And, and that principal was Dr. Monroe. So Dr. Monroe, she eventually got uh, her... Um, she eventually got my behavioral records because uh, she was trying to figure out how, how the heck did I get into her school uh, being this troublemaker, and then she saw two different kids. And so she went to the grocery store where I was bagging groceries in Harlem, um, not too far from the Schomburg, never forget it, and, uh, and, she, and, she, and she, came to, she came to the line, and here I am bagging groceries, and then suddenly I see Dr. Monroe, and I'm like froze, right? And which is what... You know, we as educators, we have that power. We can freeze kids, you know, just like look at them. What are you doing? What's, what's going on? What's in your hand? You know, and, it, 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 and so it's an amazing power. Um, and that's exactly what she did. And she says, what are you doing? What's going on? Why aren't you in the school? And it, 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 she goes, I want you in my office. So I came to her office, and then she then says, why am I seeing two different kids? And she shows me in it, and I told her my story. And then, and I'll uh, wrap it up. And then uh, I rem her assistant principal then told her um, that there was this young woman who was causing trouble, wasn't doing any of her work, and that, she, that her mom was telling, was, was said, well, um, 
well, my my kid, the 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 curriculum is too hard. The school is too hard, and that they should just they they should just uh, uh, lower their their expectations. And uh, she, she said, lower their expectations, or my kid is out. And then Doctor Monroe, you know, she was sitting with me at the table. She got up and she says, Mister Lou, tell her that I will help her pack. And I was like. My God, this woman is crazy. <laughs> and but then I eventually learned that she was this social justice warrior when it came to education because her whole thing is that whether it's President Obama or Trump or the next president or whatever, school is a sanctuary where kids are being lifted into their greatest strengths their greatest hopes and their greatest dreams. And so no matter what's happening outside of the school, school is supposed to be that place. And so when I saw that, I wanted to be a part of that. And then from then on, yeah, I became, uh, I guess, uh, you know, a hacktivist. Yeah. Uh, when I think of social justice, I think of us. Every person that I'm looking at right now in this room, all of us that occupy this space, everyone that's listening on the live podcast, um, and think about what that means, really. Like, how many of you actually greeted someone today? Like, like really greeted someone? It is, it's, it's becoming a trend that we're so glued to this box that we've forgotten how to be human beings. I had a woman, I was walking in, I was walking in um, Home Depot today, and there was a woman that was working there, and I saw her, we made eye contact, and, and then I kept walking, and she said, hi, good morning. And I froze in my tracks, and I turned around like it was a robotic movement, and I said, hi, with a huge smile, hi, good morning. It was like shocking to me. I grew up in a time where that was like common. You said hi to your neighbors, to your teachers, to your parents, whoever, your, your friends, your family. That's social justice. We've gotten so far away from that because we're so consumed in, you know, Agent Orange and everything he's doing on a daily basis. And, um, you know, the things that are broken about humanity, you know, and, and real talk, like that's, that's what we have. That's what we all have in common right here is humanity. So if we want to, if we want to really think about social justice, let's think about how we treat each other, not just in this room, but like how we extend that outside of this room. Every single day, we are, we are the people that are fighting this fight, like straight up and down. And it's more important than ever, ever before. In my organization, if I may, um, social justice is one of the cornerstones of what we do. It's one of our nine core pillars. Um, so we have frameworks, we have objectives, and we have approaches. So it's one of our frameworks. Um, and, you know, I'm learning every single day. I had a, a workshop last night where a woman emailed me today, one of the participants. We did a, um, we did a, uh, we had a power, power and privilege lineup. And a lot of people have done the power and privilege lineup where oftentimes it's the heterosexual white male that's in the front, right? And the person of color is always in the back, right? But we flip it. And so it's the heterosexual white male that's in the back and the person of color is in the front and people are just blown away by that. But 
this woman emails me today and she's like, your question about, um, you know, take a step forward if you identify as LGBTQ or you have someone in your family that identifies as that, take a step forward. And she emailed me and she said, you know, that it, it doesn't feel inclusive of who I am and what I identify, which is, is transgender. And, and I was, you know, that's something that, and we were talking about cultural competency, right? I, I don't like that word because how can you be competent in something that's ever evolving? So we say culturally congruent. We're trying to align ourselves and amalgamate with what's going on, right? But, you know, it's like I'm learning. And so for me, it was a learning process of like, okay, I want to be inclusive because to me, that's social justice, to me, it's like, how can I make you feel like you are included? Because the point of the exercise is to teach empathy about the people that we work with and the clients that we work with. It's like, use, utilize it as a strength if you come from the same backgrounds that your clients come from, if you've had the same experiences. Utilize that. And we've been taught not to utilize that. So to me, social justice is this, us, and then always evolving. Always learning, always learning how to be better people every single day. Thank you. Um, so we have a question that kind of goes along with um, or kind of moves forward with the, the thought process that I think all of you brought in. And um, if I can get my notes up because I'm using a, a phone to, to look at notes and look at other things. So um, this one's apparently okay. Live, live podcast, y'all. Um, so, <laughs> all right. So, the mic is fine. If if everything stays the same, it can. It, it's fine. We don't have to do anything else. Um, so. <laughs> You done lost your notes. No, my notes are here. They're, okay, yeah. so, you know, all of you talked about how you walk through, how you how you you focus your walk through social justice. Now we'd like to to ask how you translate that to other folks. Like, how do you have conversations with the people that you serve, with the people that you protect, the people uh, that you work with around these issues, and like, especially with what's going on in the world right now. I mean, this, what's going on in the world right now is what's been going on in the world since the world's been going on, right? So how do, we, um, how do we talk to each other and how do we talk to the folks who are maybe a little bit earlier in their process um, to help them kind of come to where we are and help reassure them that there is hope? I guess I'm starting again. <laughs> so how do we talk to others in the world? And I think that part of that is, is assuming that the conversation is not one of affinity, right? We're, we're not always on the same page. Um, and I know for myself, it is trying to take a step, uh, a moment to say, let me, let me enter into this conversation with patience um, and with love into the conversation that we will be entering into as, as human beings who are all learning, right? Um, and so wherever we are on that continuum of transformation and social justice and activism, um, 
and whether we are at the beginning or somewhere further along, because no one is at the end, right? Um, but thinking, trying to enter into conversations with love and with patience, and patience for self, too. Um, so I try in my different roles to start conversations on sometimes uh, deceptively neutral spaces, uh, territory. So, like, we're going to talk about a book. We're going to just talk about a book. Sure, it's it's Ta-Nehisi Coates or, or James Baldwin, but it's a book. It's just a book. And an author, we're just going to talk about an author. We're, we're going to talk about Citizen and, and Claudia Rankin. We're just going to talk about a book. And that is a way of entrance into, so what does this book mean for me in my practice? What does this mean for me in my life? Um, and, and how does this um, challenge what I have done before? And and push me to be vulnerable about, you know what? Uh, do, do we have an explicit rating on this? <laughs> we do, okay. You, you, that's true, that's true. <laughs> but it's like, you know what? I fucked up. And how do I make amends? And how do I move forward in collaboration with others? How do I interrogate myself and think about my own development? And how do I move forward? Um, so thinking about like conversation with others around social justice kind of themes, uh, I think there's a lot that comes into that. And, but I think part of it too is like, here we are and we're meeting in this space and how do we, how do we engage in a discussion, um, really engage in a discussion that welcomes those participants in the discussion rather than excluding and pushing somebody out. Like we, I, um, I, I listen to Politically rea Reactive a lot, and I listen to Naming It a lot, and I think about like um, being mindful of our relationship with allies, right, and cultivating that, that relationship, too. So that's what I'm thinking about. Um, so I'm in therapy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thank you, baby. Um, and it's ironic because for 13 years we've been doing this organization and we call it hip hop therapy. And I was still adverse to it. I was still like, I, I don't wanna see a therapist. Uh, so for the last year I've been in therapy. And one of the most important lessons that I've learned from this, this therapy is, um, and it's funny, through, through the, the institution of church, ironically, you know, not ironically at all. It's not ironic, it's what it's in, intended to do. I, I gained a strong moral compass. And and even though I'm no longer going to church and I'm I no longer consider myself religious, I have that background. And I was I, I had that development in in this institution. And from that moral compass, I've tended in the past to indoctrinate other people to this moral compass. And so expecting everyone else to act like I act, in other words, right? And I was drinking my own poison because I was like, I was miserable every single time that when inevitably everyone is vastly different from each other, they're not going to see the world the way I do. And so for me, it was, a, it was an awakening to say, I don't have to change my moral compass. I can still be the human being that I am. But now I just have to be different in the way I approach people about it. 
drop a gem and keep it moving. Whether they absorb it or not, that's for them. And that's for their journey. It might be now, it might be 10 years from now. But I'm going to still have my strong moral compass. And so when I approach people, whether it's just in, in general or whether it's with the work, that's how I approach it. Like, I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to present myself as who I am. And it's for you to absorb it how you absorb it. And then it's the same thing. It's, it's applicable with social justice as well. It's like we, you know, I, I have a very strong opinion that actually, quite honestly, to me, the number one thing that we should be thinking about is the environment, to keep it real. That's like the, the only thing that really, really matters to me, honestly. But like, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to preach that to people. It's more just like, at the end of the day, the only thing we have is our birthright is happiness. And so like, what makes you happy? And, and, and let's figure out how to be happy together. And, you know, it, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, really, it's, really, it's really fascinating because, you know, I've learned a lot in my work. And, and when it comes to youth, like, we, we often pathologize them. And it often comes from a place of, like, we know better. And, and then we miss the opportunity to learn from them and, and have them be our teachers. Um, and that's the true reciprocity that social justice can produce. Uh, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, that's what I do. I train hackers. And, um, and so for me, some of you who aren't technologically inclined, that doesn't mean I train inner city youth to hack it to the Pentagon, <laughs> disarm our nuclear weapons, and dethrow our current administration. That is coming, see? Right. I know some of y'all went, aw. <laughs> um, it, it's, but one of the things I tell our, our young people is, we call them trailblazers, that the first thing I want you to hack is your own isolation. And so language is really key to everything I do. Like my team and I are always constantly investigating the language that we use uh, because language, I mean, when you think about even the advent of hip hop, and what hip hop did to language, um, and what hip hop did with language. Um, and what it did, did was that it filled in the gaps because like the language of our oppressors and the language of oppression couldn't tell our stories. And so we have to create new language. And so when I'm around a bunch of Silicon Valley execs and in investors, and they say the word innovation, and I say, well, what does that mean, innovation? Like, what is innovation supposed to do? And so they go, oh, well, I never thought of that. And, and, I, and I go, well, um, well, for me, um, innovation is supposed to erase poverty. And so if innovation is not anti-poverty, I don't want to know about the next app that you create that's going to help someone pick up my laundry at 3 a.m. Or, or, or I get a pizza at 2 a.m. Like, that's not innovation. That's, that's, that's a gimmick. It's a toy. Right, and so for me, hacking isolation, and that was what our mandate was for um, creating the Black Male Achievement Hackathon, and then My Brother's Keeper, and then um, and then dehumanization, um, and so I, 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 poverty manifests in three different ways: isolation, dehumanization, and so we launched a, a hackathon academy uh, that uh, places our, our young people with police officers. 
And so the dehumanization and hacking dehumanization happens on both sides because we're, we're actually just caught up in a system that's called failed city planning. And so we're set up to fail and we're all a part of it. And then when you help, uh, especially uh, uh, the police realize that, then uh, it, 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 and then you also help our young people not become fearful of the boogie, boogeyman. It, it, it's very liberating, liberating what they experience. And then our next hackathon academy actually is the third component of poverty, which is alienation. And so, uh, so we're building sanctuary apps. So the kids are going to be building apps to help those who are facing deportation and are being violated uh, in terms of their human rights. Uh, and so, um, and yeah, it's it's so, uh, and it's interesting because um, so we probably will have the the hackathon for the first time for us in a church. Uh, more than likely in a very, maybe hopefully modern Catholic church with internet and uh, and all the trappings. Um, and so, because we want to really uh, place this idea of, of, of sanctuary. And so it's isolation, um, uh, isolation, dehumanization, and alienation. And so, so innovation is supposed to erase those three because... Um, because the language that we use and the language of oppression, and I see our young people adopting this and in, uh, in, in being at the, um, this, this regional summit, I saw a lot of those who saying that we're supporting our young people, we're liberating them, we still use that language. We still use the terms that are coined by conservatives in order to judge us and in order to, to trap us. So, I mean, think about it. You, you, you head to the airport and... Someone says, hey, I'm going to give you a flight upgrade. And you go, okay, great, first class. First class on our new airline, At-Risk Airlines. <laughs> Do you want to fly At-Risk Airlines? Or you go to a very nice five-star restaurant, and uh, the maitre d' comes to you and says, well, uh, the, uh, the entree for today is disadvantaged lasagna with a side of inner-city potatoes. I mean, no. And so why is it that we use this language for our young people? And we do it all the time, thinking that this is going to be the language that we use for liberation. And so if we can't shift our language, then how is it that we're asking them to learn new language, be bilingual, trilingual, and especially learn the language of coding, which is the language of the future, which is the language of now? And so and because the language constructs our world. And so that's part of the work. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I have I've been withholding because typically I want to interrupt and ask questions. But we do have one last question, and then we're going to open it up to the audience and for us to dialogue a little bit more. But you'll have touched on this a little bit, but I really want to get a little bit more explicit. Uh, every episode of Naming It, we have a bit on self-care. And um, it's, it's our hope that, that as we speak about wellness and self-care, we do that from a way that is culturally congruent. Um, and that is relevant to people and how they how they move in the world, right? Like, I don't want to be tossing out the latest, greatest, you know, pick one out of the book. Um, but curious how you all see and experience your work as a form of self-care. What do you what do you see in its uh, changing of the youth that you serve, how it manifests in them as an as an opportunity for them to um, either promote healing, um, wellness, development, from whatever lens that is. Time for this. Okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> and I jump in. <laughs> so I have been thinking a lot around the phrase, I am not your John Henry. 
I am not the one who will sacrifice themselves in this effort to defeat the machine. I am a human being, right? I am not your John Henry. I am not the machine that you that will be pushed to try and and defeat the machine. And I think our mic is done, but I'm going to keep talking and hope that this keeps um, picking me up. All right. Um, and I, I've also been thinking a lot around um, sacrifice of especially blackness and Latinidad and thinking about people of color in particular, but especially black folk. You know, in the horror film, in the sci-fi movie, we always die first. We always die first. In the American Revolution, we die first. Crispus Atticus, right? We die first. And it's this, you know, this sacrifice at the altar of, of change, of revolution, of spiritual awakening, of national identity, of many things, is the sacrifice at the altar. And I think about that a lot of, so what is my load? And, and thinking about self-care. And for me, self-care today was going through all the papers, all the, all the things that have been clouding out my, just clotting in my office and throwing it away, clearing the space, clearing the space. And then also creating a space for meditation, for having that space to really center and empty the mind and focus on the moment and the breath and going down to that, to that level and letting it all go away as much as possible and to be really present in the moment because the world will take us from our bodies. The world will take us from our minds even and say, you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and, and then you lose all the things that you wanted to do and wanted to be because you're doing the task. You've become a cog in the machine. And so I have tried, at least in the last, you know, just today, creating that space of here is my mat, and here are my cushions, and here is a reminder that I need to take time and whether it is in meditation, whether it is in writing, but I need to take time and yes, I will attend that meeting because that's my duty. But also being like, I am not prepared to engage in the work that that meeting calls for if I am not centered in myself. And I am not prepared to do the work that that meeting calls for in respect to ultimately young people, because I train future teachers. So if I am not centered, I have an, I will detrimentally affect my teachers, my future teachers, and they may detrimentally affect their youth, right? There is a chain. I am part of that. And so this is a call, a reminder to myself that I need to be centered, that I need to make this, the time and the space and I think that, too, is a reminder in my general work that this is not a solitary ideal, that this is a communal, this is a reciprocal relationship 
um, this is a, a part of the community that we need to think about. How are we centered in our work and how are we really thinking about, so what is the ultimate outcome? It is not about even just the classes that we structure, but it is ultimately about the youth we serve beyond the, beyond the teachers that we will cultivate. And so for me as well with thinking about self-care, it is the mindfulness practice. And part of that is also for me as a, as a writer, how do I create that space to be creative and innovative within my practice as a teacher educator, but also as an artist. So, yeah. yeah. I am not your John Henry. <laughs> oh man, self-care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going back and forth about the work side and then the personal side, and I'm gonna start with the work side. So my, my whole organization is kind of based on this notion of um, your authentic voice. And so all of our programs um, come from this foundational principle of hip hop, like use your voice as a tool to speak against oppression, to speak against what's going on in your community, to speak to love, um, to speak to what you feel passionate about. And so a lot of programs that say they're hip hop therapy, what it is is they use uh, a, a clinician, a social worker often, will work with a youth based on music that's already been created. Um, and so they'll listen to a song by a current artist and they'll draw parallels to that youth's life. And that's a way of building the relationship and, and, and being able to really um, discover what their interests are. Uh, whereas with us, we pair a teaching artist with a social worker clinician to actually work with youth to develop their authentic story. Um, so to be able to say, what is it that you want to tell about yourself and not what you hear on the radio, and, and most importantly, not what the adults of your life have told you you are, but what do you think you are? Um, and, and the very notion of that could be self-care. Because, I mean, by just by making some noise or show of hands, how many of you have had a bad day and then you put on a song and you feel better afterwards? No. Just about every today, right? <laughs> Right, and so, and so we take them through a 16-week process where it's like, let's develop your authentic story and then tell it on CD and then perform it back to the very people that are invested in you but have doubted you in some way, right? So now you have reframed your strength-based story to the point where everybody in the audience, their jaw is on the floor like, oh my God, I did not know this youth could do that. And that is, that's very cathartic. It's, it's very much aimed at self-care, you know, and, and, the, and the more youth write and the more they're intentional about it, the more they realize they can use this as a tool. For myself, I really appreciate what you said about being grounded and understanding that you, you need to take care of yourself. I've been realizing lately self-care is exhausting. Like straight up, like I'm, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm out here in the Bay Area, it's expensive. And so going to see my chiropractor, going to see my acupuncturist, actually I have an in-home acupuncturist, thank you, love. Um, you know, going to see my therapist, going to see my mentors, and even the gas to get there, that costs money. And so I'm always trying to keep up just to keep up with my self-care. And so what I realize is really important to cultivate it within myself, to be able to tap into my inner, my inner well and say, you know what? 
I know some self-care right now. Let me think of a memory. Oh, yeah, Panama, that's right. Um, but I also realized something really important, too, is like we think of, uh, I've been thinking a lot of athletes and artists lately. And what, what I know they have in common when they're performing at their highest is they have a support team around them. So why not as psychologists? Why not as hip-hop therapists? Why not as artists? Why not as educators? Why not have a support team around us? Why not have the people around us that are going to make us our best every day so that ultimately we can serve our youth? Yeah, I, I search for answer. I, I, I remember when I remember when the police, uh, the detective slot slid his business card under my door, and you know, and I don't do fear well. But at the but for the first time I was afraid because the last time that happened my wife was killed and and I remember you know I uh, I remember eventually uh, coming outside going to the corner bodega store on Chauncey Street between Ralph and Ralph and Howard in Best Buy Brooklyn and. And my neighbor says, yo, I'm sorry to hear about what happened with your brother. I was like, yeah. So I went back home, called the, yeah, called the business card, and he's like, yeah, your brother was shot in the head. And um, we have reason to believe that the same people who did that to your wife, same people who did that to him. And yeah, so, and so I went to the hospital and I mean, it's a long story. Um, after he died, I went to Dr. Monroe, same woman. Um, I went to her and, you know, and I said, you know, I said, well, what, you know, what do I do? And, and she says, well, you know, she says, you have a gift. You've been around kids all your life. Save them, save their lives. Um, and then that's what allowed me to become an educator. And that, and then when your life's work, when your work is your mission in life, it, you're on a, a crusade and it takes over everything. Relationships come and go, homes come and go. Um, you move to, um, you, you move, you move from state to state or region to region. And it's a, it's, it's a constant it's a constant growth. And so, so my answer to your question is that I am in constant pain. But I smile. I smile because true magic comes from real pain, and real magic comes from true pain. And who better to work with our babies than someone who can say, I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. I remember there was one kid in Philadelphia, and he was working on this app for the longest, and he was great, he was amazing, but he did not want to go on stage. He was, he was near tears, he did not want to go on stage because he was a group home kid, and the person who promised that to do his hair, because he was going on stage and it was gonna be recorded and be on television, um, wasn't able to make it. And he, and he was in, in, in a constant state of anxiety and 
so uh, so the staff member came to me and she, you know and they said, well, this is what's going on. And uh, so I said, I'll pull the team together. And so we pulled the team together. I said, who can do hair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And someone said, I could do hair. And I said, okay. And she did his hair. And he went on stage, and he was brilliant. It was amazing. And, and I think that that's the thing that, that I've found is really important is that, is that even with the non-traditional background that makes me who I am, I, I still get caught up. And the, 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 the prison that black men, especially professional, successful, educated black men, get caught up in, um, which is to be this stoic, non-emotionally unavailable, unav- uh, just, you know, the guy who just can handle it all. And, and it's whack. It's not fair. And so... Connecting with, my, connecting with my kids, connecting with our kids, I let them know what an emotionally available black man looks like. And anyone who sees my texts, my tweets, or anything knows I don't have a problem. When I watch my romantic comedies, I, I film my favorite scenes and I put them on Instagram. <laughs> and, the Big Sick, you got to watch it. It's a great movie. Um, but, I mean, it's it, like I... It, and I think that that's something that's really important. That's, I think, for me, has started, the, started that journey because we need to see that. We need to see that. And I think that what it is, especially in, in culture, especially cultures that have been uh, marginalized and historically oppressed, is that um, we just get so caught in, in not being real and open and not being able to, you know, I'm going to hug you right now, you know? <laughs> We don't, we don't do enough of that. Um, and I understand that. It's like when you're going up against oppression, you want to put your boldest, baddest face, um, but it's killing us. And, and yeah, we, we have to do a lot of really transformational, really amazing things. But, I, but for me, especially in the in this, in this space that I'm in, uh, when, you're, when I'm developing and you know, training these hackers, is that they sometimes see that um, that you're only allowed to tap into your emotions if you're Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, or Michael Brown, because that's all they see on TV. And but when it comes to doctors, lawyers, you know, engineers, all that, you know, everyone says, well, you know, well, well, if you want to just go to college, and then they go to college and they realize that they're so far behind from their counterparts who have been preparing, and at the same time, they still are able to access resources that, you know, and so they, so they get caught up in this place where, you know what, I want to see a, a, you know, a 13, 14-year-old, uh, you know, black and brown teen walking around with no shoes on, on their laptop, like, I'm building this app, you know, like, I'm just doing my thing, you know, and, and I think that that's, that, that you can be eccentric, you can be a nerd, you can be weird, you know, screw swag. Swag ain't done nothing for you. You know, being cool ain't done nothing for you. You know, I, I, it's so interesting. Okay, Cupid did this whole uh, survey, and and what was the the number one word that popped up in black men's profile? Cool. We're obsessed with it, and I understand that oppression did that to us. 
You know, and that's the thing is, is I'm letting them look. No, look, if you are a 400-pound linebacker, it's okay if you want to crochet in the locker room. Do you? That's, that's your healing. That's your therapy. And so that's why it, it's, it, it's heartwarming to be among practitioners and, and change makers who are focused on their self-care and that we can be open and available to one another and say, hey, you know, it, this, this is our journey. And, uh, and we haven't for forgotten ourselves as we're trying to lift everyone else. Thank you. Um, you know, I really, I, I really identify with what you all were taught, what, what you all kind of brought just now. And I, I want to throw out a couple things. One, if you haven't seen This Is Us, it's going to mess you up. Uh, it's going to mess you up real bad. My wife's in the back over there, and she sees me, like, crying in there, watching, watching that every time. The black family, the, the mother and father. Oh. Um, so, you don't watch, she, she don't watch TV. Y'all, if y'all listen to podcasts, she doesn't watch TV. That was like months ago. See, we talking about emotions you're bringing up. Uh, okay, sorry, this is us. You take, okay. Okay, so I think, I think one of the things that's um, from a psychological perspective, one of the pieces that um, is really important about folks living healthy lives is that we have access to our whole human self, right? And what oppression does, like y'all were bringing up, is it constrains us, both from the oppressive, like if you're on the oppressive side, if you're on the privileged side, you get constrained in a very specific kind of way. And if you're on the oppressed side, you get constrained in a very specific way. I always like to talk about um, how little options men have in terms of expression around dress and things like that. We're on the misogynistic a uh, privileged side, but we have to constrain ourselves in order to maintain that power. You know, we have to maintain, we have to wear the suit, we have to wear the tie, we have to do those things in order to make sure that our status is kind of held and kept, you know? And so even though it seems like, for instance, when people talk about how African-American folk or people of color tend to have more vibrant personality and all the other stuff, we're allowed that because we're not allowed access to all the spaces where power is shown through the way that you have to, to kind of hold yourself in this, in this one space. So I really, I really wanted to like just big up y'all on that. This is, I, I think that you really hit on a key um, to kind of self-care and to mental health and to, to making sure that you're okay is, is having access to who you are. Um, so I'm, I think what we wanted to do after this is, uh, at this point, is when we get our, uh, our, our sound effects is telling us, I'm going to take that as an alarm to say that it's time to hear from the audience. So if anyone wants to, um, we'll pass the mic around if, if folks for want, want to ask questions of our uh, panelists or who just want to ask questions about naming it, um, please, uh, anybody you want to want to volunteer? All right, we got a brother in the back. You, you keep that. Okay. I'm going I'm to be the walker. I'm going to do that. Um, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Earl, and I had a question. I'm just trying to take advantage of having such um, expertise in, like, genuine human beings in the space. If you could, like, give us some homework, a simple task that would shift us um, and shift our work, what would it be? It could be something that we can do in the space now, or it could be something that we could kind of, like, start in the morning tomorrow, start our day. Brother just modeled it beautifully. Why, why don't you turn to your neighbor and greet each other, hug each other, like show each other love? Right? 
additional advice. <laughs> Although that was amazing. I love that. That was so joyful. <laughs> that was like the most joyful part of my day. So, <laughs> um, so I would advise to read against so when when you know the Agent Orange or or you know the 45, whatever we're calling him, um, when he tweets, read against whatever he tweets. So if if he tweets about trying to push out trans military soldiers and officers from their work and service, then we need to read about trans soldiers and officers in their work and service. We need to read the voices of trans folk, right? Whether poets or writers in different genres and and to connect and to work in community. So I think that that pretty much any time that, that, you know, that Agent Orange or 45 tweets something, push against in whatever way you possibly can, calling or tweeting against or reading against or starting a reading, whatever you can think of and it's within your purview because we are in dangerous times, y'all. And it is very easy for us to get to the point where we become numb. And I think that that's, that's purposeful, that, that his tweets and, and also his work within his work as, as president, which is so troubling as an idea, is to wear us down and to make us numb and to make us just accept what will come, which will be apocalypse if you if you will like i i think on that on that realm i think that's where we're going if we are not vigilant if we are not conscious and pushing against um so pushing against as much as possible that's my homework um i think it's uh, I, my homework is people so i would suggest that uh, celebrating the people around you. Um, and I mean that in a way like, oh, you're awesome. Well, why, why are they awesome? And then, and then I, one of the things I love to do with the people around me, I say, do you have an idea or something you haven't told anybody you'd like to share? Yeah, I like to be a, I like to be a soundboard. And, uh, and you'd be surprised because we all have ideas. We have, we're in the shower. We have ideas. We're getting our hair done. We have ideas. So, and so and, and, they love, and, and, that's, and you see that spark. That magic that happens in their eyes when they're sharing that, and it's the most intimate, it's intimate thing. It's inter interesting that we will sleep with each other, but we won't share each other each uh, each ideas because we're afraid that it's going to be rejected. And so, so now you're creating that space where you're saying, "No, I accept, accept your ideas," and yeah. And so, I think that that's something that. Um, and then what happens is that then they. Okay, they call you whenever a new idea pops up. They call you, and then they and then they practice that putting it out into the ether, putting it out into the universe, 
and, and which is great. And so, um, so I, I would say that uh, uh, everyone around me, I'm always constantly asking like what their ideas are, and um, always asking them, yeah. So, so it, it, this, this, t and, and let them know how much I appreciate them, um, and uh, not just in being in my life, but in terms of how they exist in the universe, uh, and that, and how they exist in the universe is what draws me to them. In our organization, we do praise and appreciation after every single thing that we do, uh, whether it's a staff meeting, whether it's our groups. Um, so I want to praise and appreciate my fellow coworker for the question. Thank you, Earl. Yes, indeed. Um, just a little bit about Earl. Earl just moved out here from the Bronx, right? Yeah, right. And uh, literally has been here for about a month and is actually the director, Academy Dean, he's the director of our Transitional Age Youth Program now. And so we are trying to be, like, as I said before, we're being really, really intentional about diversifying the field. And so we serve Transitional Age Youth in our Academy program, uh, giving them aftercare. So they have, they get full wraparound services. Uh, we're, we're giving them full rides to get their AA degrees. Uh, so we're paying for their school. Um, and they're learning how to become um, facilitators in the way that we are, whether they want to be clinicians, whether they, they want to be artists. Um, and so we're really teaching them and we're setting up the path so that when they're done, they can go to school, they can continue with BRL, or they have the skills that they can go into the field of social services and start to make impact there. So Earl is really spearheading that. So I want to appreciate you like publicly and say thank you. Thank you for sacrificing your life. Yeah, yeah, we are recruiting. Say, say that again so that everyone can hear you on the podcast. No um, if, you're, if you know anybody who can take advantage of the experience of somebody who knows they want to be a youth worker, has already been a youth worker, um, is into music, maybe wants to take advantage of that, um, and just needs a job, maybe just needs $400 a month stipend um, and some support with college, please just contact me at earl at brl-inc.org. Welcome. All right. So we're going to move to well, I, I, If I can, just answer the question real quick. It'll be real quick. Um, for every, for every day, every week, for the rest of your life, help somebody that's less fortunate than you. you we, we are sitting here at Rosenblum. We are celebrating the one-year anniversary of naming it. Give it up. Give it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we are truly blessed to be here tonight. So every week for the rest of your life, help somebody that's less fortunate. And if it's the same person for every week for the rest of your life, that's fine. If it's a different person, that's fine too. But every week, make sure you're intentional about helping somebody that's less fortunate than you. All right, thank you. Uh, we have another question. Uh, my name is Douglas Phoenix. There is no O in that Phoenix, the way it's supposed to be spelled. <laughs> Egyptian. All right. <laughs> uh, I like to like I like to ask like creative questions. I'm always off the top, so I would love to know what is a song that makes you feel powerful in what you do and in your life, or an artist, and why? So I don't have a song, but I have an artist. And that I am a true and deep Erica Badu fan, right? Very deep fan. I've seen her in concert only twice, but twice. 
And I love her work. And for me, when I think of also the phrase stay woke, it comes from an Erica Badu song. Like that's what I think of immediately. Um, and so this this work of also creating space for artists to be in conversation with one another within the cipher and really building off of one another within rhyme and elevation of idea and innovation within that and even being prophetic within the word that's what i think of when i think of erica badu um and so i uh that's the artist that i always think of now you know i i was born in in 81 and so neo soul was like also a part of my coming into being and so like coming into like a sense of myself and so she was also part of that wave of folk who were coming through at the same time with her and India Ree and Music Soul Child and Macy Gray, all these folks who were coming in right at the same time. Um, and I'm also from Philly. So thinking about soul <laughs> and neo soul, um, for example, although Erica Badu does not claim Philly, she's she's coming from, from Texas, if I remember correctly, right? Um, but still like, this connection of sound and and um, movement within sound, that's who I always think of, so. Um, see, I, uh, I will bench press like, for, with, with Can You Stand a Rain, new edition. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm in the gym like, okay. yeah, that's right, that's right. Can you stand the rain? So I'd say that's my song, but I actually recite uh, a lot because this is my Buddhist practice. So, you know, or um, or even poetry, um, like Keats, because I think I keep, uh, you know, the life of Keats and, and dying so young. Um, and um, Queen of the Wide Air, thou most lovely queen. Of all the brightness that my eyes have seen, as thou exceedest all things in thy shine. So every tale does this sweet tell of thine. Oh, for three words of honey that I might, but tell of one wonder of thy bridal night. My favorite song of all time is Fragile by Sting. And um, the reason why that's my favorite song is because every single time I hear it, I want to curl up and cry like a little baby. Like, it's just such a beautiful song. Um, but as I learned from the, the great teacher Eminem in, in the movie 8 Mile, um, it is, uh, it's really important to own your vulnerability as power. And so that song and those experiences have informed me as an artist. And so I'm going to be vulnerable right now and hopefully share a little bit. But I could use y'all just to do a little clap for me. And I'm, I'm going to drop some F-bombs. Is that all right? F-bombs are OK. I'm just going to do a chorus. I'm just going to do a chorus. Slow it down a little. Slow it down. Not, don't, get, don't get silent. Just slow it down. There we go. There we go. If it's organic, then it ain't. Nah, you know what? Never, never mind the clap. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if it's organic, then it ain't got Monsanto in it. <laughs> 
because I ain't fucking with that shit for a minute. Fuck genetically modified organisms. I'm a brother who's conscious of healthy living. Who else in hip hop is talking about GMOs? And that's the kind of vulnerability we need as human beings to be like, yo, let's talk about some realness. We're all eating it. It's in 80% of our food. You eat processed food, you're eating GMOs. And it's killing you. So let's talk about that. That's, that's what Sting did for me, actually. <laughs> well, I want to thank y'all. Thank you for the mic pass. Uh, I want to thank, and let's give one more round of applause for Rob Jackson, <laughs> Kalima Price, Dr. Rena Leon, and the best co-host in all of podcast land, Dr. Bedford Palmer. Well, that means we are evenly, evenly best co-host because uh, Dr. Lamisha Hill. We give it up real quick. Can we also give it up to all the folks who decided to come out on a Thursday after work to uh, to Jack London Square? Some of y'all, we got wait real quick. Where where's Dewey at? Where's Dewey? Told you. So Dewey Tran is is one of the first people who ever reached out to us at naming it and 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 commented on anything we did. All right, he came up here from UC Merced. So I think oh, wow. he wins. Can you stand up, Dewey? He does. Dewey is our original. The original member in the building. Right? I also want to, uh, if we can throw a shout out to uh, some of the folks who have helped us tonight. Um, Kevin, can, can, can you put your hand up real quick? Yeah. Kevin Grant. Also one of our first supporters. He's been here all night helping us out. And, um, and can I give a shout out to India Swearingen, my Bay Area bestie. Thank you for the love on Facebook. Helping us navigate this social media madness. I wouldn't have it without you. Thank you. And I want to put a shout out for Rob Morris. He's taking the photos tonight. I'm giving you a cred, bro. He always takes care of us. When y'all see the images that are going to come out of tonight, he's going to make us all look real nice. Um, so, so we've got... Three raffle prizes. We got, yeah, we got, we got some raffle. Let's give people some time. So, yeah, for, we're gonna give. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so in terms of our audience who's out there, who's listening, who didn't get to come, it was a, uh, it was, uh, it's hopefully y'all enjoyed this. Hopefully you enjoyed the live show, um, and uh, we'll probably do this again at some point after we like rest and hibernate for like a year or three. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, hopefully uh, everyone had a good time. And uh, like we say at the end, keep naming it. Peace. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Now available at Dundrum Town Centre. So you can now use your toll tags to park in our car parks. Simply register at easytrip.ie forward slash parking. Easy parking with Easy Trip. Dundrum, where more happens.